Welcome back to Kinda Christian. I know, folks, it's been a while and you've had to wait so long. We had John Mark Comer last week, and I was thinking, who better to top that episode than to welcome my dear friend, a legend in his own right, the man who preaches with an accent that is commensurate with God's voice himself. I would like us to welcome John Tyson to Kinda Christian. John, thank you for being here, man. Well, thanks for having me, mate. Actually, I think the Scottish accent is the voice of God. <laughs> if, if, if you were to hear God speak to you and you just say, read your Bible, you would read your Bible. That'd be fun like exercise to think about is like, if you're like, who's the best person to do the, like the, to read the Bible? I mean, James Earl Jones is sort of the classic, but if you like, he's, when he came he's down from the classic, but you come down from the mountain, you're right. And it's just like, you know, 10 commandments have got for all of you. You know, thou shall not covet. You know? <laughs> You've heard it say, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We have a little Scotland. <laughs> we have a little um, game. We were doing that with um, some friends. We were coming up with TikTok videos because you know why not? Why not come up with TikTok videos? And um, move this over here. And we were thinking like Star Wars characters. Like if you had Darth Sidious, be like. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or yes. Ecclesiastes, like, to everything there is a season, a time to live and a time to die. <laughs> we have so much to work with, don't we? I know, we have so much. So I think the first question on Kind of Christian that I just really wanted to throw out there to you is, um, like, how big of an honor is it for you to be here? I mean, I, can you tr really put into words the feelings you have coming onto this podcast? You know, what's that Zach Galifunkas uh, show, Between Trees? Between Two Ferns. Between Two Ferns. I mean, the only honor I could think bigger than being on this show would be on that show. So it's sort of up there with that. That's right. Okay, well, good. I just, obviously, I like to give guests a safe space to process what they're feeling. a chance to be able to share, yeah. share the honor. Yes. I know. Um, well, actually, so it's funny. You and I have a great origin story. I'm going to see if you remember this. Do you remember our first actual interaction? Uh, it, was a, it was a great story. Let's see if you remember it because I, so, I will yeah. never forget. Okay, what it could be. There was a season when I was discipling my son where one of the things that we did together was a thing called freeletics, which that was, was it. <laughs> high-intensity high bodyweight workouts, all named after Greek gods. And the, the workouts were all named after Greek gods. This is probably 2015-ish. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Doing great. So I would get up every morning and you would, these things took between 20 and 40 minutes and I was on a super tight program. And uh, yeah, so you, you were at a retreat where I was speaking at the retreat and, uh, and then you came early in the morning and I was probably doing some like crazy thing that seemed inappropriate for that hour. That's my guess. <laughs> It was a tiny little room up at this lodge in upstate New York through Praxis, and you were doing this freeletics was awful. It was like 6 a.m., and we're doing burpees in the morning, <laughs> and it was awful, and it was like, I mean, literally, wake, out, wake up out of bed and just go straight in, and I was, it was so cool to see, and I think it's so uh, illustrative of your character as a pastor too. Cause you know, instead of my, my first image of is John Tyson, like sitting there, you know, meditating, bringing in the Holy spirit. Um, and no, it's like open the door and he's like, mate, let's go. And just like burpees, pushups. It was 20 minutes of, I think you honestly illustrated what an eternal torment could be like. Can you uh, imagine that? Imagine having to do endless burpees. <laughs> that's, gosh. 
That's actually one of my top three scenarios, I think, of what hell could be like. The other one is you're on the 405 in traffic, and it just never, you never get to your destination. It's just sort of there, you know? The 405, mate, I've, I've been stuck on the 405 for hours before. Oh, Not this... a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan. That's why I love motorbikes, mate. Lane splitting's legal in Cali. You just go straight through that mess. There you go. See, already spiritual allegories abound. So, well, we should probably dive in and give the folks something useful to listen to besides our nostalgia here. But uh, I appreciate you being here. I'm so excited to dig into your book, The Intentional Father. Um, I love listening to you. You have such a unique... I, I think one thing that I've always appreciated about you is you seem to have one foot firmly entrenched in each of the seemingly disparate camps like there's this pentecostal charismatic bent that comes out but there's also this deep liturgical beautiful like understanding and i you know not many people i mean i can't believe i'm gonna compliment you but there's not many people i feel like who straddle both those worlds so well and i find myself going wait where does he belong i can't i can't categorize him you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's—I uh, don't know if you get that—but that's one of my my favorite things about you and your ministry. I'll I'll hear you go. He belongs in a old-fashioned evangelical church. Like, no, I could also see him at the revival, the tent revival. You know. Well, I appreciate that. That is certainly me trying to be faithful to my story. So I I became a Christian in Assemblies of God revival. Went on, got mentored by Keller. I mean, I it's, I'm trying to live out of both my heart and my head. You know. Wow, you got mentored by Keller. That's a uh, that's obviously a high bar to achieve. So he's he is sort of the Yoda that would just make you a little bit of a Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, but uh, I, I want to start off. Uh, you know, on this show, we actually try to dig into some of the deeper questions and just tough things about faith. Let me ask you this: what are what is a mystery of God or something that you still have a tough time with? You're comfortable with it being unresolved, but it's something that still nags you. You know, maybe in the middle of the night. How God speaks to people, the voice of God. Hmm. I wish it was clearer. I wish it was. Uh, I wish it was clearer. I wish there was a, like a definitive way, and you just got it. It's How not even God... clear in the New Testament. I mean, you know, Paul's like bouncing around trying to serve God in the Book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit forbids him, but he still doesn't get direction. He's just like can't go there. Then Paul has a dream, and in the dream he sees the Macedonian call, and it says, so we concluded. So, you know, the Holy Spirit, he only tells him not what to do in some nebulous way, and then he sees a vision. God could have just said, hey, Paul, I want you to go to Macedonia. Like, why Why the so, so indirect, so mysterious, so complicated, yet I've heard the voice of God clearly. I mean, I wish I heard it more clearly, I guess. That's always, I appreciate you saying that. That has always bothered me because I, for example, I, I know friends who I've seen some stuff that really blows my mind. Um, even in the midst of my, you know, questions and doubts, I've, I've seen people have these, I guess you would call them words of knowledge where they have said things about people and people walk away going, I don't know how this guy knew that about me. I mean, that was insane. And then I wonder why do some people hear like that? And then other people it's like, oh, I've got this image, and I think I see a possum. It could be. Does that mean anything to you? And you're like, what? Like, I mean, if he's all about, re- this is my biggest question. Like, if God's all about relationship, why the, why the differing revelation per person? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Okay. If so I knew, I wouldn't that. have a problem with it. I just, <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's kind of Christian. I'm like, that's a kind of answer. I don't know. Yeah, it's it is a, it is a, yeah, and you're right. And the Paul one's really interesting too, and. 
And then also, like, I'm always curious, too, because how do you make sense of, uh, and correct me if my chronology is wrong here, but there was prophesied, like, Paul, you can't go back to Rome, right? And he felt he was supposed to go back there, and you're going to be turned over and delivered. And there was some ambiguity in how that wrapped up, right? And how... I think you're talking about Agabus. And, and he didn't tell him he couldn't. He just told him it was going to be bad. He said, hey, man, this is, this is not going to end well. And Paul's like, that's okay. Paul's, Paul's original commission that God gave him is that you're going to stand before kings and emperors. He was showing how much he would have to suffer for Jesus' sake. So I think he was kind of like, hey, appreciate the intel. I'm ready for it. Do we know how Paul finished up, by the way? Because he kind of goes, he has that cool island experience. Yeah, I mean, they, and... think he was, they think he was beheaded. Really? Is that church yeah, tradition? Yeah, kept in the Mamertine, Mamertine prison. Not crucified because he was a Roman citizen. That's what they think. Wow. If you've ever been to the Mamertine in uh, in Rome, it's one of the most staggering experiences. When I, the first time I went there, maybe um, almost fifteen years ago, it was there was almost nothing there. You could just walk in and go down into the cell, and wow. it's, there's quite a bit of historical proof. It's not like one of those deeply uh, contested places that this is where Peter was held and this is where Paul was held. And um, this is, so Paul had, you know, different imprisonments. He had the house arrest at the end of the book of Acts. This is not that. This is a later imprisonment. And um, it's right near the Palatine Hill. So you can almost, I mean, you can from, if you're outside the, the prison, you can basically see the forum. You can see downtown. You can see the Palatine Hill. So it's probably a 10-minute walk to Caesar Augustus's house from where Paul was imprisoned. Wow. It's it's like the the dynamics of it are just incredible and yeah to to sit in that prison and um to read, you know, first and second Timothy, particularly second Timothy his last his last written words to us. And then boom, that's the end of it. This this guy in this little cell standing in front of the power of Rome believed in a gospel that took out Rome without violence. So it's it's extraordinary. It's one of the great reasons I believe in Christianity is um, it's improbability. The whole thing's a miracle. It shouldn't exist. That's well. Let's let's dive into that. that's that's really interesting. Uh, so there's there seems to be two areas where people sort of dig in on Christianity. It seems to be historical and then like personal experience, which is tough because you can't extrapolate it. But yeah, you know the on the on the latter, uh, would you say have you just have you seen too much? Have you experienced too much to really let doubt? sort of take hold in any area because I, I do appreciate mm. um, I think something that I've been okay with and has really helped me process a lot of that is that it it seems like if Jesus towards the very end was I don't know if he was trying to get out of the plan but was you know if there was an honest moment of like you know I don't know if I want to go through with this um, that gives I feel like that gave license to be like you know you can you can walk and see and um, and heck we know people in that time period saw crazy things and still didn't believe. And so it's those, those things don't make faith for you. And so it, even no matter how far you've walked, I, I got to imagine that even people who've done this professionally do this still have these mysteries and doubts and, you know, well, I mean, it, it depends what you're talking about. The question is, have I seen enough to not believe I've seen enough to believe, but seeing enough to believe doesn't mean you won't disbelieve Demas because he loved this world has forsaken me. Demas saw so much stuff. Judas saw quite a bit of stuff too. The question I would say is this. So it's like, have you seen enough where you can't not believe? No, I mean, you can have a bad day and you can doubt everything. I mean, 
Hmm. You know, being just because you're married to a beautiful woman doesn't mean you're ever tempted. You're not tempted. I mean, it's like hmm. that's that's not the nature of faith. I, I would say this: I believe that God has been so kind to me, so kind to me. I could never turn away from His kindness. That's it. I'm I'm like I am marked by the mercy of God. So it's kind of like Polycarp when he was killed, and he's like 86 years I've served him, and he's been he's been so good to me. Why would I deny him now? I definitely feel like that. That being said, my life has been filled with staggering amounts of pain. So it's mm. not like my life has been pain-free or challenge-free or stress-free. It's just that Jesus himself has been so kind to me. I don't. I just don't think I could ever deny that. I wouldn't want to. He's been so good to me. You know what I mean? So I think that's the thing I cultivate. Faith is relational. It's primarily covenantal. It's not intellectual. doesn't mean that there's not an academic uh, part of it. You know, I mean, it's faith-seeking understanding in some sense, but it's also profoundly about covenant relationship with a God who's just shown me so much mercy. Mm. Where am I going to go and do what? And do what? Look, mate, I've done it all, almost everything at this point in my life. There's no amount of money, sex, pleasure, possessions that's going to do anything better than the kindness of jesus in my heart i mean you that's did it. do a, you did do an eight-hour harley davidson ride i don't know what else is what else I mean, there you is know, i mean that's kind of like peak human experience in the fall <laughs> going through the pennsylvania wildlands that is that sounds so that is that is my image of you too like when you carry the gospel as i know because you've got a cigar or you're on a, a bike and just always you know a good brandy you know it's just you don't fit the mold of the of the traditional pastor <laughs> well i mean i'm just trying to i'm trying to be myself mate I love, truth I love through that. personality that's preaching i think that's ministry i love that um, you're going back to to i, I want to dig in a little bit on just hearing god and, and speaking what what has been fruitful for you as far as discerning God's voice in your life and how he speaks to you individually? Well, I mean, the number one practice is, is fasting. Really? That's okay. that, like, yeah, man, when you fast, it's like you, you get noise canceling headphones and the volume turned up. Nothing brings me further clarity on the voice of God than fasting. I hate fasting. You know what I like doing? Eating. Oh, I like you know eating. I do too, bro. <laughs> I like eating. But fasting is one of those things. The other the other thing I would say is like uh, meditative listening through the scriptures. You know, like I was, I was doing that this morning. I was meditating through one of the Psalms. And God says to Yahweh, uh, sorry, God says to the children of Israel, you wanted none of me. What a phrase. He says, I would, have, I would have opened the heavens for you. I would have given mm. you new wine. You would, have been, you would have feasted on the richest affair, but you wanted none of me. Therefore, I gave you over to the, the, the counsel of your own hearts. It was like they wanted none of me. God wanted to be wanted by his people. Meditating on that, God, how much do I want you? Is there anything in my life, Lord, that is causing me to not want you or distracting me, you know, like that took me deep. That's just like a slow reading through the lectionary. I mean, that's the Bible reading plan I follow. And I was like, I was into it, into it. So wow. yeah, that to me, fasting, if you need like sort of directional clarity or breakthrough and sort of like a meditative reading. And then I'm a, I mean, I'm a big believer in, um, 
yeah, two things at once, which are a bit of a contradiction, like radical intercession and stillness and silence. Like I'm a big believer in like pray over the city and call down, you know, blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, sitting humbly in total utter silence and just waiting for a prompting or impression of the Holy Spirit. All right. So how do you, I'm tr- so that, that morning routine sounds amazing. Um, I, I love a, a radical tearing down of strongholds and a stillness, but it's interesting because when you read, when I read the gospels and I read Jesus and it seems like everything is supposed to be emulating of Jesus. That seems to be the main message. Like you're going to, you're going to do this. You're going to do things like he did, et cetera. But his prayers seem so succinct so short, uh, so just, you know. Well, I mean, uh, only, only the written ones that said Jesus right. went out and spent the evening in prayer. He spent the whole night in prayer. We don't, right. we don't have that content. He's, he's dropping 10 hours on it. All we get's like, all we're told is that he did. That's it. <laughs> right. Well, no, I just wonder sometimes too, like what, you know, what would that, I, that's what I was going to say. I wonder what that looked like. And, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that John Mark said that really, uh, really stuck with me was just, um, and actually, I heard Francis Chan say this too. That he said he was he was concerned for this generation because of uh, this thing. He's like, you don't know how to sit and be still for five minutes. And I, um, I mean, it was scary the other day. I, I I left this at home and went for a walk around the lake. And I just was like, I and you and you tell yourself, I need my phone because like, what if the car breaks down? What if uh, you know? That's and then, what the Apple Watch. That's what the Apple Watch is for, mate. Apple Watch. I literally bought the Apple Watch with cellular, with cellular, cellular, <laughs> cellular. Uh, with cell service <laughs> so that I could leave my phone places and still be reached by my children, which is my great concern. Well, folks, we just got a new sponsor. So let's take a brief moment and thank Apple for all your privacy and uh, the prayer intercession needs. Um, that's actually a good idea because I, I thought about like, oh, you do want to be like if there was an emergency, but... It's funny, the first five minutes, I found it sort of like exercise where when you first start running, which I hate running, just like I hate the bur- burpees and freeletics, but the first five minutes, there seems this all out rebellion when your mind is like, we're not doing, why are we doing this? We've left the comfort of the couch. The coffee is back there. There's a great tome of knowledge. Perhaps we could be, re- we could be at home in comfort by a crackling fire reading the intentional father and you're out here pounding pavement. And then, you know, you get into it and you're like, okay, now I'm kind of like, now we're cruising. Yes, first five I mean- minutes. Yeah. I, I look, look. I totally agree with you. Um, I, I so I, this past Sunday I preached. I found some research that said like the typical person touches their phone like two thousand six hundred and seventy something times a day, but then power users touch it like fifty two hundred times a day, and almost everybody I know feels like a power user. Whoa. So this was uh, so the so what's the antidote? So silence, solitude, getting into nature is hugely important. They've done research that shows. Three twenty-minute walks a week. So let me give you like the nature detox to reset your brain. Okay, and this is like massively researched out, particularly in Japan, where they have this concept called forest bathing. The healing properties are like <laughs> surrendering to nature. John Mark took me on a forest bath, and I said, well, "He's like, you want to go forest bathe?" And I was like, "Whoa, bro, what are you talking about?" You know? Yes. So <laughs> the basic the basic gist is you need three twenty-minute walks in a park or in a natural setting a week as the absolute bare minimum, it's like a period. And you cannot have your phone with you. You cannot be listening to music. You have to be present and sort of attuning yourself to the environment. Then you need five hours a month in non, in essence, non-urban park-like or suburban settings. You've got to go into the wilderness. It can still be state parks or 
whatever, but it's got to be a little more off trail. You need five hours uh, um, a month on that. And then you need at least annually a three-day straight-up digital detox, no phone, nothing, no photos, don't pick it up. And they've got all this research that shows how your brain actually resets itself after three days in the wilderness surrounded by nature. It can't just be three days at your house because there's a blackout. It's like a consciously chosen immersion into nature. It, 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 the effects of it, there's like a halo effect. It lasts after you get out of nature. It changes the way our concentration and focus resets itself. And uh, so I, another big part of the question could be, why don't we hear God? It's like maybe he's talking all the time and we're just distracted into oblivion. Oh, man. How know, do you do this? And, so, you live in Manhattan, or you, when you guys were in Manhattan, how do you, does Central Park count as enough of that? I'm like, how would it you? Does, it does. Yeah, I mean, you can get into the middle of it. Um, the place, the, I mean, my, so I've got two spots. Um, one spot is the end of a pier, which faces out onto the Hudson River. Hmm. And when you look up, you just see this long river and lush green hills because Rockefeller brought all the land in New Jersey so it would never be built on and donated it back as a park because he didn't want the view to change. That's why looking up the Hudson is so amazing. And then um, in Hell's Kitchen, um, you have to you know, prove that you live in the neighborhood to get a key uh, into this particular park. But I've got this key that lets me get into sort of like a secret garden. You need a key to get in and you need a key to get out. And you often see people who sneak in and they can't get out. That's kind of funny. Um, but this, this lets you sit in a place that is immersive, Wow. It is immersive. When you're in it, you could you could be in an English country garden. I think cultivating those sorts of spaces are very very important. Jesus had places. Jesus went. Um, Jesus loved to go to Bethany. It was his favorite place on earth. Uh, Jesus, you know, went to the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, this is a place that he that he would return to. Uh, they knew that he would be there. Judas led the soldiers there to arrest him. So Jesus had these places of retreat and disengagement and you know a lot of times he's praying if you look at the rhythm of what jesus was praying about you see the same pattern in the book of acts before anything big happened or before any big guidance was needed jesus was deep into prayer so you go spend the night in prayer before he calls the apostles go spend the night in prayer before he's going to be crucified go spend the night in prayer before he's going to a new region for a mission in the book of Acts, the same thing. Before the gospel goes out, you see the church praying, and then there's an expansion. And then there's normally resistance, which makes people fall back onto God in prayer. So to me, that that whole rhythm of engagement and disengagement is like a, a huge thing. So yeah, it's, it's, I've tried to cultivate them my whole, my whole life. And again, I've so, uh, you know, I mean, this is a, a, a different topic, but how you understand God to be working in the world is very like how you frame reality depends on your frustration with what's actually happening. So the questions of like, you know, like, can you doubt? Why doesn't God act? I'm very disappointed. A lot of people have a sort of very sophomoric view of reality and it goes something like this, God and me. I mean, there's other people. I mean, there's other people in the world, obviously, that are like a wonderful background cast to my story, hmm. but it's God and me. And when stuff doesn't happen to me or bad stuff happens, the only causality is basically God not doing what I want. I just don't think that's the, 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 the I don't think that's an adequate description of the reality in which we're living in. Life is more like a frontline war. We are in a battlefield. Mm -hmm. And if you viewed every day as like um, living in a city that's being occupied in the middle of World War II, 
and with snipers around everywhere, you'd be way closer to biblical reality, what's actually happening. So then you would you would have a lot of understanding and explanation of why things go wrong and while there's tension and conflict and that sort of stuff. But now we've jumped all over the place. Basically, go for a walk and imagine you live in World War II. What else is there? I mean, that's the subject of his next book, you know, A Walk to Very Much Remember by John Tyson. <laughs> No, I love, and actually, I I can back that up because I I discovered the Tetons recently and how much mm. I love national parks. It's amazing too because I've I've traveled all over the world, but there's so when the U.S. we got it made in the shade. There are so many amazing diverse topographies, and we'd go hiking for like eight days, and we do like ten miles a day. And I I took my car last year and just kind of drove mm. by myself through mm. Montana, and so beautiful. Oh, and like, there's nothing to like riding under a freeway, uh, on a freeway under a huge storm in big sky country. And just the, you realize how minute and small you are. And I just found though, a clarity of mind, even from a physiological standpoint, something yeah. about three to four hours of just steady state exercise that I felt the most lucid I've ever felt. And I thought, man, this is, I'm really wondering all the modern conveniences, just being where we are, I go, I, I don't know if it's worth the trade-off because there's something that the ancients understood and had access to. And when Francis Chan was saying that his, he was worried about, he told this story about this guy who said, I will, um, I will buy you any car you want, Lambo, anything, but you have to get rid of your smartphone and you have to have a flip phone. And he's like, that's how important I, he feels about it. And I thought, I, my inability to sit still for five minutes and just be and listen. Um, I was like, hearing you talk, that makes me feel like that's actually a way bigger deal. Um, and, you know, potentially one of the biggest hindrances to fruitfulness in life. And I probably need to take that much more seriously because it's hard. It is hard in today's day and age. I'm just, I feel beset constantly by the, the fierce urgency of now. I got to move now. I got to act now. And what you're saying, it seems like all the major decisions, all the breakthrough, everything big that happened started with a step back and just... Yeah, man. I for... mean, yeah, yeah I mean, what are, I can think of no greater waste of time channeling Peter Drucker to be radically efficient at something that is meaningless. <laughs> what a waste of your life. To be really good at stuff that doesn't matter, to be excellent and disciplined and organized at stuff that doesn't matter. So how do you figure out what matters? Well, I mean, that's that's the great goal of abiding with Jesus. He says, you know, I, I let you know what the Father's doing. I call you friends. You know, everything the Father's shown me, I'll reveal it to you. But I, I think we've got to want to hear that. And so to me, that that process of of abiding, of being still about, being hungry about being faithful. That is the essence. If you don't get that right, it honestly, Jesus is apart from me. You can do nothing. It'll just all be burned up. Kingdom of the false self ending quickly. That's most of human history. You got a Why series of that? coffee mugs coming, bro. I just, I can see a Johnson's like, you know, self kingdom of <laughs> the false self ending quickly. <laughs> Drink up everybody. That's like a great coffee show. So Eat, really drink, tomorrow we die. The kingdom of the false self is ending quickly. <laughs> Eat, drink, tomorrow we day, the kingdom of the false self. Okay, since you're you're tapping on this, this is I'm curious if you wrestle with this, um, not personally, but like if you're, uh, or maybe you do, but with your your people that you pastor and your your congregation. But one thing I've, uh, well, I heard you talk on, and I want to get to your book in a second. You talked about 
the two adulthoods and uh, the first one seems to be occupied you know, from 20 to 40 and sort of occupied with roles and time. And then as you move to the second half, it becomes more about mystery and wonder and, and what you find fulfillment in. But mm, mm. Um, I've really been uh, just, you know, I would say struggles out the word, but I've been, I've been trying to process. I've, I'm always trying to make sense of this and we won't solve this today, but God's sovereignty versus my own, efforts and i and i love slash hate that scripture seems to have a verse to support either argument um you know like you know, a man's heart choose the way but the lord directs his steps or but work out your salvation with fear and trembling but you know or romans uh is it nine um and uh, it's just like you know some are noble vessels and some are ill noble vessels and i'm going this is crazy to think about but um for those who are wondering you know and i've just i'm asking because i have quite a few friends and i felt this for those who feel like I don't know if I'm, did I miss out on the things that God had for me? Am I doing the right things mm. without devaluing life and how special it is? Because you could easily go, well, whatever, everything's meaningless. You know, eat, drink, we die tomorrow. But also, God has a plan, and I've heard you say that many times. And I'd love any any thoughts. And obviously, asking for a friend that you could, you know, encourage someone who's wondering where they're at in the scheme of God's plan. Uh, is your question about Calvinism? Is it about the sovereignty of God and free will? I mean, is yeah, that kind is that of, the it's, it's, of it? how do you reconcile was, the sovereignty of God with free will? Yeah, it's one. It's my attempt to ask the longest meandering question ever, and after succeeding there, one, two. It's just I I have myself and a few people go look. Sometimes they're they're reaching their mid thirties or maybe they're they had the kids and they're like, you know what? Like it was all so busy, and now I'm like, what is like, did I do the right things? Like, am I, did I, can you miss out on God's plan? So I guess we're oh, yeah, kind of that. Obviously you know? the Bible is filled with warnings that you can. Yeah. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Oh. As you did in the rebellion. I mean, like, don't shrink back. Now is the time of salvation. I mean, look, the Bible is filled with warnings about missing out. Jesus parable of the virgins, you know, some aren't ready. You know, so like, can you, can you miss out? on what it is that God has for you. Yeah, that's called the whole Bible. People continually missing out what it was that God had for them, starting with Adam and Eve, going with the patriarchs, then the children of Israel, missing out on the promises God has for them. Yeah, I mean, like, so I'm not hung up um, on, yeah, so I don't want to give false comfort, like, no, no, you're all good. You're all good. You may have wasted your freaking life and need to wake up yeah, that okay, could we be need to, true. That's huge. We need to pause for a moment and hear that. Because like, I have heard some people say, oh, you know, you're going after God. You can't miss out. And I'm like, well. What are you talking about? Yeah. Show me that. Show me that in the Bible. Yeah. it's. I mean, no, so, I, so no. the point is this. The point is this. What you're asking, which is the question I think we're all really asking, is like, can we trust God? Why would I go my own way? It's because I don't really trust him, you mm. know. Um, do I really believe that what God wants for me is my deepest happiness? And I, I don't think we believe that. Therefore, we're always going after other things. So, yeah, mm. some people need like a, need a, like a wake-up call. I mean, so much of the book of Hebrews is like a giant warning about missing out. That's the whole book. Jesus is better, and if you're not careful, you're going to miss out. The question is God's heart, because God is like, I don't want you to miss out. This is a plea of a merciful father. This is a plea of a jealous lover. This is the plea of, of a covenant partner. Let, let, let me read you my thing from this morning, mate. 
Hear my people. This is uh, Psalm 81. Hear my people. And I will testify to you, Israel, if you would listen to me, there shall be no strange God in you, neither shall you worship any foreign God. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And this is what he says. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my Mm. people didn't listen to my voice. Israel desired none of me. So I let them go after the stubbornness of their hearts that they may walk in their own counsel. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies, turn my hand against their adversaries. I would have fed them with the finest of wheat, and I will satisfy you with honey out of the rock. So what's the tone of of this? It's God saying, why do you continually rebel against me? Come to me, everything you want for is ultimately found in me. Mm. So yeah, I want to give pastoral counsel that says like you can waste your life and you will have profound regret. And if you don't think that's true, you haven't spent enough time with the elderly. There's a lot of elderly folks who were like, I would give anything to have more time to redo my life. So it's this like in our desire to be kind and nice to people, we want to assure them that everything they've done is fine. That is like bad pastoring. That is bad theology. It harms people. The question is, though, can God redeem my mistakes and my wasted years? And the answer to that is absolutely, and that's the biblical exhortation. Mm. You know, you want the years that the locusts have eaten restored? Come back to God. You'd be amazed at what he can do to what feels like, honestly, like God bending time around redemption is what it feels like. His capacity Mm. to accelerate things that have taken us years and close the gap. So... I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe um, in meticulous sovereignty that every single event that happens is decreed by God. I don't believe that. Hmm. I respect people who do, and I used to believe that. I understand why they do, but I ultimately don't think it's like the... You can proof text a lot of Calvinism and sovereignty of God in the same way that Jehovah's Witness proof text. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, like when, when you've got people saying from the book of Proverbs... God makes all things for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of judgment, as proof of reprobation that God has destined people to hell. I'm like, well, it also says in the book of Proverbs that God will reward us wealth without painful labor. So I'm going to claim that one. You call me a prosperity gospel if I claim that one, yet you're using a verse out of Proverbs Mm. to fit your doctrine. So to me, you can proof text a lot of things. I think the biblical point that what God is after is relationship, a restored relationship with humanity. He's created to know him. Mm-hmm. And well, that, wait, to me, it's how you make sense of most of the scriptures. Well, I appreciate it. You do have to, you do have to empathize with Calvinists. It's not like they have a choice about what they believe anyway. So, um, Well, yeah, I mean... That's my Calvinist it, joke for today. I, I know. <laughs> that logic always works so well on, on trivial issues. Yeah. It doesn't work in real life. Yeah, I mean, you apply that to someone with cancer. Well, they have no choice having cancer anyway. You know what I mean? I'm just pushing oh, yeah. the logic. You're like, dude, you take all my jokes away. Stop no. it. It's okay. I'm no, I, the other day I met a kid who had like three exits um, and was like worth seven figures at 25. And I said, you know, I post, it was one of my most popular Instagram posts. I said, when I meet 24-year-olds with that much wealth, I get very Calvinist very quickly. Um, and it's funny when I, when I don't like the outcome, I tend to just go back and forth, uh, based on how, how, uh, satisfied I am with how things are. That's how Calvinist I am. So, um, and just, you know, being intellectually honest, uh, I, uh, I do want to make sure we get to talk about the intentional father, because that is, 
from all the time I've known you, I mean, I've loved your, for also anyone who has not heard John Tyson's controversial Jesus series and follow-ups, it is, man, uh, you've did such an amazing job. Um, and since we're not Calvinist here, you did some great work too, um, of nuancing some extremely difficult positions. And I remember listening to one and I won't spoil it where I like, wait, does he agree? Wait, where's he going to land on this? I had no idea until the end. So you got to stay tuned. You never know some of them where he's going to land on some of these talks, issues. Mate. Those were straight up lectures. They were fantastic. Hour and 20. Hour plus, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, imagine if you can something even better than listening to this podcast and you have basically the controversial Jesus. Um, but uh, from when I've known you, I have been so in awe of your just, I remember that one of the first times like, hey, mate, can we talk? And you're like, actually, mate, on a trip taking my family around to uh to places where revival broke out and i thought what that is the coolest thing like my love you dad but you never took me to revival spots so walk me through just how you started doing some of these amazing things with your family and how that all led up to intentional father and uh, kind of your heart behind it i have a lot of questions about the book but uh, i'd love actually we should probably just talk about this revival thing too because i thought that was such a cool vacation well i mean Love makes you do crazy things. That's the that's it. I love my family, love my kids. So I tried to take some of my strategic energy and my cultivated wonder and thirst for God and build a family environment where my kids were exposed to the best of it. Mm. And so one of those things was like, hey, do we believe that God still does great stuff today? Yes, well, then let's go see all the stuff he can do. Let's, let me give you some history about what God's capable of doing. So it was really an amazing story. I had wanted to do this trip before my son graduated while we we're still sort of like a tight little family unit and everybody went their separate ways. So I just I wanted to go see these revival sites. You know, I'd read all about them and I wanted to just go stand there and pray as a family. Lord, do it again. Mark our lives. We believe you can. And then it's one of those miracles. Someone came up to me at church and gave me a massive check and said I was praying and felt God told me to give you this money to do a trip with your family. And it was wild. So the trip, I had a, I had a, a prayer patron who gave us the, the family the money to do it. Did they know you were praying about this or was no, this? No, no, they don't know anything, mate. They just walk up. I didn't even know that person honestly had any money. Like they gave me the check and I was like, gosh, that is a considerable amount of money. I just never would have guessed that that person had resources like that. So I'm so grateful for that. The church has been such a generous community. So, yeah, so anyway, we went to 17 places in the world where great revivals have happened as a family. That was it. We took a month, went around the world, loved it. Did you make it up to the Hebrides? Of course I did. Oh, that, so I have to admit, I, didn't, I had never heard about the Hebrides revival until you told me about it. And then I started looking it up and I thought, this is from a, and to the kind of Christian audience who like is fascinated with studying faith. There are these revivals that have been well documented. And I, I just, I'm, I'm left wondering, how do you explain away what happens at these things? If you don't believe, I mean, because you read some of these stories out of the Hebrides and you go, I mean, what would explain people going to this obscure islands in thousands and droves and all these reports of healings and break. I mean, it just, I don't, I don't know how to make sense of it. The great gift of my life, mate, was I had six or seven people from that revival still alive, lay hands on me and pray for me. Wow. That was like one of the top five moments of my entire life. I felt the manifest power of God. 
I felt the embers from the flame still burning in their hearts. Mm. You know, 70 years later, I could still feel it. They couldn't say the name Jesus without weeping, mate. Oh, They're in the 90s. Yeah. And this play, and again, for those who don't know about the Hebrides revival, correct me if I'm wrong, two elderly sisters just were praying, right? And Peggy said, and we're. Christ, Peggy and Christine, yes. One of them is a direct relative of Donald Trump. I saw that video. I did. That was, the video is like not historically accurate. Oh, okay. Sadly, the Bible that they were like, a big part of it was like, Donald Trump was sworn in on this Bible from the Hebrides. No, he wasn't. It's not true. The New York Times categorized, like literally reports on the Bible. Every president is sworn in on it. It was a, a Presbyterian Bible from, from New York, I believe. Oh. Anyway, the, the the relational connection is true. It's just two old, elderly women who who um, just got desperate for God, meditating on his word. There was the, the thing that stirred them, there was no young people in the parish coming to church. They just lost a generation. They were deeply burdened, so they gave themselves to praying, sort of like 8 p.m. to 2, 3 a.m., three nights a week. Then some elders, local elders, jumped in and started praying, and then it was just... It was just wild. I mean, they had they had, you know, manifestations of angels singing over them, open heaven, angels walking with them in the fields, visibly seeing creatures of light as they're walking along. The thing about the Hebrides is these people are so conservative, and I don't mean that like politically, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, th there's zero hype with these people. Are not like wacky Pentecostals, right? These people are like profoundly conservative people. This is amazing. Anyway, yeah, so that was a big part of it. That's like I, I wanted to sort of mark our family story, and I think it was just love for God and a desire to live a meaningful life that made me do it, and that's, I think, I've tried to make that a theme of my fatherhood is to sort of like, you know, I just came back from a trip with my daughter before she went off to college. We spent two weeks in Iceland. And oh. mate, you want to talk about a, an immersion in? I've just never been anywhere more beautiful in my life. I mean, that's my number one spot there. in the world. Is I, 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 you like turn the corner and it's like golden fields with yes. you know, and it almost look like wheat fields, and then you turn and there's like black sand beaches, and it's Iceland is it's just so the, wild. It's the coolest. So wild. And then skier, man. Do you have all sorts of the skier yogurt, man? That's their their thick you know, protein I think yogurt. We were too busy. I think we were too busy. I mean, gosh, what were we eating? We only had like one hot dog, which is the national food of Iceland, <laughs> uh, in in Reykjavik. Um, but I mean, anyway, it was just magic. But yeah, I took my daughter on a trip there. This again, similar sort of a theme to mark her out. I took my son on a, you know, as a part of like our manhood rite of passage, five hundred mile hike across Spain, doing the Camino de Santiago together to sort of wow. mark that out. So. You know, and here's the thing. If you know me, I am like in so many ways the most typical, boring, normal person with a few bizarre quirks that make me occasionally do extreme things. And that that is like I tried to give that to my kids. Everyday love and joy with like big, massive things that shape them forever. Oh, and they'll be grateful for that. So tell me what led to the intentional father. You had actually started doing some of these activities with your son and I'd hear about these and go, can, can John Tyson adopt me? I know I'm a 30 year old man, but maybe I could tag along for these things. But uh, what, what led, what was the genesis of this book? And then what was your real heart that you wanted to communicate with it? 
Well, three things. I mean, number one, I was just like, I loved my son. I mean, I had this divine responsibility to raise my kid in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I just realized I don't know how to do that. So part of it was like love for my son. Secondly, was like personal need. It was like, I'm so unformed in so many ways because of stuff I've been through. I need to close the gaps in my own formation. So there was like a desire to break off generational brokenness and let the blessings of my family and history flow through, but stop the bad stuff. And then the third one, I, I, I think... There's such a need for it. I just read a, a, an op-ed in the New York Times this morning about like basically we're raising a generation of men who no longer have a place in the modern world. Like, just like the world's not designed. So men, the Wall Street Journal just an article that talked about like this lost generation. Boys are just dropping out of college because they sense the future is not designed for them. And um, so there's such a need. And like if, if like for an example one of the number one ways to deal with racial disparities and stop injustice in the world is for fathers to be present and raise their children. Hmm. That's like, that would take care of so much of the brokenness and dysfunction in our world today. But no one seems to emphasize that. Well, you're not allowed to emphasize it because it feels like the patriarchy or toxic masculinity or whatever. All of the sociological research is against sort of like those progressive hot takes. It's like, that's just not how it works. And so, you know, you can go and research those stats, but the best thing you can do for a child is like, let their biological father be in the home with them. It's, it's ideal. It's not always possible, but I felt like a lot of dads didn't have any tools. There was six stages in male formation development and have historically existed in almost every society. We're the only one that doesn't have them. And so I was like, gosh, I got to research this and close the gaps and put something out there. So I was doing this with my son. I had a lot of other dads reach out like, yo, what, what are you doing, man? I don't, I feel like I'm just winging it. And I said, well, you know, I've read all these books. I've sort of developed a plan for my son. And then at some point I turned it into a course called The Primal Path where I basically talked through it, you know, so it's like me on audio and video just like talking through it. And there's a workbook that goes along with it. And then at some point I was like, oh, it's got to become a book. And then David Kinnaman, my friend at Barna, who'd done a bunch of research on uh, men's ministry, fatherhood stuff, all that said, hey, let's do it together. And that was sort of how it happened. So I would say it's a, it's the most comprehensive guide to raise a young man from adolescence into manhood that's available. It's a big claim. It's a big claim, but I'll just say this. If, we're, if it already existed, I would have just used it. I wasn't looking to write a book. I was looking to raise my son. And I just found a, like a, a huge, there's some, like, there's some good stuff out there, but it just wasn't holistic. It was like, and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't holistic. It was like, your son needs like a camping trip with other men where they, you know, and I was like, that's great, but you've got, I've got six more years with the kid. What do I do every day? You know, how yeah, do I'm I in New York like, oh. camp camping isn't the easiest thing to achieve in New York city. Right? Well, I mean like the Tetons, man, we get a lot of beautiful places, you know, we've got the Pocono mountains. Um, yeah. you've got the Catskills. There's a lot of nature. But anyway, that was my point. So I just wanted to reclaim this ancient pathway that we'd lost and in so doing help form men that would like be good for society. What are the six stages, uh, that the psychologist refers to? So James Hollis, this, this stuff comes from James Hollis. He's the one that talked about the two halves of life and he's a Jungian psychologist. Uh, a lot of his insights are sort of like, where Rohr and Rollheiser get their, their thinking. He basically says that the six stages go like this. Number one, removal, radical removal from, uh, from 
the regular society, sometimes kidnapping. They just would like when young men, because what happens is particularly with young men, their bodies begin to change. Testosterone, competitiveness, erotic energy, understanding identity, desire to push boundaries. Like all of this is happening inside the young the young man and he's asking like, what do I do with these energies that are driving me wild? And they've got to be channeled in the appropriate place. As soon as they would notice these, they would uh, forcibly remove him from the community of women and children. Number two, symbolic death of some kind, like initiation that says basically you're entering into a new space. Number three, they were given the story of the community, so they understood who they were as a people, the religion of the community, so they had a divine sense and understanding of the world. And number three, the roles they had to be good at in order to contribute to their story and their people. Then they were sent out after this period of formation and education, they were sent out for what is called the ordeal. And the ordeal was where they had to test themselves with all of the internalized knowledge and see if they could manifest it in the real world. So, you know, the Messiahs, you had to go kill a lion. In Australia, young Aboriginal men were sent out into the outback for up to six months where there's hardly any food or water and everything that moves will kill you. And how old are these kids being sent out? Well, at this point, they're probably between 16 and 18. Wow. So this is like a couple of years in, but they, got, they have to – they need the sense of confidence from knowing that they have what it takes. Then they are brought back and they are recognized by the community of men and then they are taken back and integrated into their community so that they can serve it and continue wow. the sort of family traditions. So like that, that is almost universal. Now, what do we have? Okay, here's what we have. Kids on cell phones binging porn and violent video games. We have parents who are driven, probably overworking, fragmented and distracted. You got kids maybe joining sports teams, though, maybe not. And they do get some often good formation, but honestly, it, it normally takes you away from your life. Like particularly travel sports can be very, very isolating and specializing. Then, um, you know, what do you do then? I don't know. It's parents pushing you to achieve in a future that you're not even sure of. And then you graduate from high school, get drunk, lose your virginity. What do you get a car? What do you do? Then you go off into college and join a fraternity. And then when are you a man? How are you formed? In what way is that not just basically like hedonism for young men? Like it actually takes their worst desires. The ancient Greeks had four cardinal virtues, justice, wisdom, courage, and self-restraint. And they believed that like the foundation of all ethical behavior was that like we submitted our internal desires to these standards that produced a good society, justice, wisdom, courage and self-restraint mm -hmm. and so when have those things ever formed in a young man instead of being just they oppress instead of being wise they're fools instead of courage we're often cowards and instead of self-restraint it's a culture of excess and all the cultural mechanisms we have facilitate that so we're facilitating at mass the deformation of a generation so how do you fight so back of that we got to do, yeah, we got to do something about that, mate. The stakes are high, and I think the Christian Church is one of the places where we have a rich, rich opportunity to do this because you get a web of relationships. You're not on your own. The typical person in America is very isolated. They rarely mm -hmm. live in the place they went to college, which is where they form most of their friendships. Mm -hmm. Their work friendships, you can't be fully vulnerable, and often those relationships are transient, pretty fragmented, overworking, 
often if you have a second home, it's taking you away from your primary community. So, but the Christian church has like a, a family is what Jesus called it. And so you've got this web of men with the, shame, with the same vision and a heart to serve and give themselves away. I think it's the greatest opportunity for the church in America right now. So what did you do? Uh, did you drop your son off uh, in the middle of the ocean? Or what did you, uh, how did you actually implement some him, of these six stages? I sent him off for a gap year. I mean, I've designed a, a six-year process. Um, sent him off for a gap year and... Um, you know, went, he went around the world, went to Swaziland, he went to Nepal, he went to Guatemala. Um, yeah, just to sort of like irreparably break his heart for the global poor. Was he stoked on that or did he? I'm curious, did your, was your son like all in on this? Was he like, dude, dad, you are so cool? Eventually. <laughs> no, no, my, I don't think my son has ever been like, oh, dad, you're so cool. Well, how does that conversation that. start when you're like, hey, son, good news, I booked a trip for you. Um, oh, thanks, Dad. Here's the thing. You're going to come back next year, and uh, you're going – like, how does that conversation even go down? I mean, I basically sat him down and laid it all out. I mean, I gave him a ceremony of initiation and mapped it all out for him and had a big uh, – like a blackboard from Restoration Hub, like, you know, one of those big blackboards, felt more ancient, and wrote out the whole thing. This said, here's, here's the next six years, man. Wow. What was, I'm, what was his initial, initial reaction to that? Fear and excitement. Cool. It's like, you know, I mean, like, I, so I did it I did it with a community of his friends as well. So he okay. wasn't just like isolated on his own. And, um, <laughs> and it, it, was, it was just like an incredibly, incredibly rich experience, man. I'm honestly so grateful for it. And um, I try to capture that story and then help dads build, build that out themselves. I wanted to give them a pathway. Here's how to do this for your sons. If you, so let me ask you, so much of what you said just hit home in the sense, and I, again, I have deep, the older I get, the more respect and empathy I have for parents who literally one day leave a hospital and there's no manual and you're just like, good luck raising this that's, sovereign. That is, that's it. That's how society works. <laughs> like you're just like, and so like, it's funny as I watch my friends who are parents now and like, they're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. It's like, oh, my mom and dad had no idea either, but I never had anything like these stages. I mean, the closest thing about going off and it seems the rite of passage in middle class, you know, Western society seems go to college and sort of prove yourself that you can live on your own. But if you missed out on these stages and I, I mean, this is a, this really resonates like, you know, what do you, what do you do if that, if you never had some of those experiences, does he say that that is reparable or, you know, what do you do to the generation of people who never experienced the, you know, death of that season and just kind of thrown out there. So for the men who are, you know, I guess like me, like 35, who never went through those stages. Just, just lean into your own formation, mate. Lean in. Jesus will take you right now. Ask, ask for help. Commit to a process of growth. And this to me is the good news of the gospel. It's never too late. Turn your heart, you know, read deeply, read widely. But I think we really do have a chance to sort of like, yeah, God never gives up on us. If we if we draw near to Him, who draw near to us, ask our heavenly Father to te teach us and to shape us and to help sort of like fill those gaps in. But that's that's a whole another episode. You're talking about you've shifted from parenting to men's ministry at this point. I love it. Well, it sounds like you can read the intentional father even if you're not a father, and you can apply uh, that with your relationship with God. And see the amount of the amount of um, like dads who've read this and have literally said, "This like is for me. It's not even for my son." Is like honestly kind of staggering. 
So I think it definitely helps. Like, cause twenty five percent of the book is like helping dads deal with their own story, make sense of their own story. So that's amazing. Well, folks, it is the intentional father. You're gonna want to listen. Have you done an audio version? Do you narrate it yeah, or does it Samuel? Twenty eighth, me, mate. The twenty eighth. Okay, so it's September not Samuel Jackson. It's in Scottish accent. It's the intentional yes. father. <laughs> yes, that's it. Well, John Tyson, I know you got to bounce to you know somewhat more important podcasts or whatever, but thank you so much uh, for doing this. And uh, folks, definitely pick up this book and tune in to John Tyson. All Any series besides The Intentional Jesus you want people to listen to, or uh, The Controversial Jesus, I loved that one, but... Oh, mate, I mean, I don't, I don't know. They can listen along if they want, if it's helpful. I wrote another book called Beautiful Resistance, which I think is like pretty helpful for following Jesus in this mm. sort of challenging territory, but whatever, mate. Just whatever is helpful, people can follow along, read along, listen along. All right. Well, folks, this has been Kind of Christian with John Tyson. John, thanks for being here, man. Peace, mate. Loved it. So good. Thank you so much for listening to Kind of Christian. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review.